welcome to the 19th episode of the official Espegan podcast, hosted by Dr. Alex Nicely. Thank you, Selma. Alex Nicely here, and I want to encourage everybody who happens to be listening to make this a far more Socratic experience than it has been to date. Where is your feedback? Where are your criticisms? Where is, please, your praise? (laughs) Send your emails telling us what we're doing right and, more importantly, what we're doing wrong to office at espagan.org. E-S-P-G-H-A-N dot org. I'm not sure exactly where we are today. I know that we are interviewing Dr. Andrea Nitza. That's spelled in stripped-down letters N-I-T-A, Andrea Nitza, who is working at the moment, or holds fellowship at the moment, in London at Great Ormond Street Hospital for Sick Children. Her background, though, is in Romania, where she grew up, where she went to medical school. Let me introduce you to Andrea Nitsa and ask her, where are we? Hello, thank you very much for inviting me and thank you for this kind introduction. Um, we are at the moment recording a podcast about Young Espgan, um, as I am the chair of Young Espgan Committee. But where are we? Are we in, are we in Bucharest? Oh, are we, are we in, in London? London? We are in London, okay. <laughs> we, are, we are virtual, so we can be anywhere, but we are physically in London. Well, I was just floating around having no idea where we are or what <laughs> we were doing. So you're from Romania. We're going to talk yes. a little bit about you, because you're the most interesting thing, not, not, not young as we can. <laughs> um, are you, I know only a little bit about Romania. I know I've been to Bucharest. Everybody's been to Bucharest. And I've been to the Hungarian bit or the bit of Romania that has gone back and forth between Romania and Hungary. Do you speak Hungarian? No. Okay. (laughs) Because I happen to be in Kermen in Hungary. But we'll move along from that. Are you from the Bucharest area? Yes, I'm from Bucharest. And came up through Hungarians. Oh, came up through Romanian schools. Came up through Romanian schools. And I note from your CV that your first paper was published from the Karolinska. Tell me about that. Um, Right. So as a medical student, I trained at the university, medical university in Bucharest, which is uh, the oldest in Bucharest. And um, um, I was very active medical student. Whenever there was a fellowship, a congress, a project, I was up for it. Um, so I've been looking for a research experience as a medical student, and I found this uh, two-month fellowship in Karolinska Institute. Um, and I applied, and I was very happy to be selected among the candidates. So, yeah, I went for a summer in Karolinska, and that was between my fourth and fifth year in the medical school. In Romania, we do six years of uh, mm-hmm, medicine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was a great experience. I would say this is one of the uh, of the stones in my in my career, cornerstones, to say Foundational, so. Foundational, absolutely. Foundation, yes. It was a great experience. Now, you came back to Romania, and then um, did you do a PhD? That's what I, the impression that I have, or a medical thesis on, on antenatal infection and its consequences. 
So, um, yes, I came back to Romania and uh, continued my studies, uh, my clinical studies, and in parallel I was doing my medical thesis on uh, TORCH, uh, congenital infections. Um, and after completing my uh, medical thesis and graduating, I started my PhD, which was a continuation of my medical thesis on the same topic. So, yeah, I was doing a PhD in parallel with my clinical training. I must have missed it. I'm sure it's in your CV. But what was the title, give it to us in English, of your PhD thesis? I note the defense, but not the title of the thesis. So... Um, my thesis of, was focused on uh, developing and using the in intelligent uh, support system uh, to prevent the congenital infections and decrease the risk of uh, these infections in newborns and in mothers. Um, so what we did was to uh, put together all the information we had and create algorithms on how the uh, pregnant women should be tested and when should be tested based on their history. Um, and uh, we put this all together in a website and in an uh, app, mobile phone app, which is uh, free and available for the um, population of Romania to be used. Has it been widely adopted? Have you made, an, have you made the impact that you hoped? So um, I have just completed my PhD last year, uh -huh. and um, we have been... Um, trying to advertise it and and reach the uh, GPs and reach the um, uh, targeted medical um, professionals that we need, uh, we still there's still some room for improvement, I must say. Well, I wish you every success with that. Thank you. <clears throat> now, you all of a sudden, you made a sharp 100, well, not 180 <laughs> degree turn, but you went from being a medical microbiologist, one might say, into being a pediatric gastroenterologist. What happened? What happened to you on the road to <laughs> Damascus? So I must <sighs> say that I was always in between uh, infectious diseases and pediatric gastro. I mean, not always, at the beginning. Um, during my uh, university, I had this inspiring mentor who was a microbiologist, was my microbiology professor, and he was um, supporting trainees and he was supporting medical students to do, uh, to pursue a research career, you know, to um, present and interact. And uh, he was basically forming a community around him. So that's how um, I fell in love with microbiology and infectious diseases. Afterwards, it was I, a mentor. It, it was, was a mentor, yes. Professor Popa, yes? Yes, that's right. Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> well, he's not unknown. Known, you realize. Anyhow, you became part of his his posse. <laughs> That's to use American slang. You his became team. part of his coterie, his group, and he carried you through your PhD. And then you deserted him. You turned <laughs> your back on him. How could no, you? That is not right. <laughs> so um, I always knew that I wanted to be clinical. So I always knew that I will be clinical, especially, you know, after this uh, experience in Karolinska, where it was lab research. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's when I realized that I do love research, but I want to be a clinical um, doctor. Right, right. Okay. So I wanted to um, work at the same time, you know, having a clinical day-to-day -day, uh, work, but also research interest. And uh, again, I always knew I wanted to be a pediatrician. 
Mm-hmm. So that was no uh, no doubt in my mind. Um, so I started my my residency in pediatrics, and uh, then I uh, participated in uh, Espgan summer school in 2015. Mm-hmm. That was my first summer school. I think I was year two of my training, and and that's when I started to fall in love with uh, gastroenterology, really, and move a bit further from uh, infectious diseases. I'm sure Professor Popa regrets the loss, <laughs> but you went, you uh, you finished your training in pediatric GI in Romania, and then accepted a fellowship in neurogastroenterology. Have I got that right? So I have done. Um, uh, so in Romania, when I started, there was no official training in pediatric gastroenterology. There was no such a system. So um, I was working in the gastroenterology department, and um, I was doing um, my unofficial training. So, um, and mostly in gastro. And in the meantime, I, I don't. I did not have quite of a typical career or a typical pathway, I must say, um, because when I was year four in general pediatrics, I stopped my training and went for um, fellowships in pediatric gastro. Ooh, where? Where'd you go? (laughs) So I went for an endoscopy fellowship in uh, Sheffield, Uh which uh, at the time it was not called endoscopy fellowship. It was International Exchange Award. So I applied for that to be trained in endoscopy. Um, as it was something I was lacking at the time in in Romania, and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that was the final moment when I decided pediatric gastro is my love. <laughs> so, for, how long did that fellowship last? Were you there for a year? Six that was months? six months, and afterwards, on the same year, I went to I came to Great Ormond Street for the first time, and that was another international exchange award. It was a Charlotte Anderson Award. Aha. Uh-huh to come to for motility training. So I completed that one as well, and then went back to Romania, finished my training in general PEDS, mm-hmm. and stayed for a while, and then came back to Great Ormond Well, it just to mean stayed for a while, stayed for, that's, <laughs> you have to give us some details there. So I finished my training, I had one more year, and um, had to have a final exam. So uh-huh. in, in Romania, um, as opposed to uh, the UK system, after you f- you complete your years of training and oral modules, all your rota, you have to have an exit exam, which is quite um, challenging and um, yeah, it's it's a difficult one. So afterwards, uh, I think I spent about more six more months and um, doing general pediatrics with a strong component of PGI. Uh, yes, doing general pediatrics, mostly doing everything <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. while I was in between jobs. In between jobs? Ooh, that's one of those, <clears throat> can you explain this gap in your career, Dr. Nitsa? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, so in Romania, after you complete your official training, um, it's uh, usually not easy to get a job in the public system. Uh-huh. Their uh, private system is very well developed and uh, it's quite uh, on demand to say so. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, 
the public system is it's difficult to access so I, I was just finishing also when you complete your training it takes about three four months or even more to get all your paperwork done and in the meantime you're not a trainee and you're not a specialist so you can't actually work <laughs> so, well geez uh, that doesn't sound great yeah no. <laughs> yeah how did you wind up in london again you had no job at the moment, and they had a job going, and they thought that you were the woman for the job, yes? Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. What an affirmation. Lovely to be welcomed back to a place where you've trained, to know that you've made a good impression and that they want you there. It was absolutely a pleasure, honestly, to, to, to work with both teams, Sheffield team and Great Ormond Street. And um, um, I always think back with... Um, amazing pleasure and honor honestly to be part of of these two teams and to be trained by them um, um and yeah i'm more than happy to be in this place i can't thank enough that's me. lovely so now that's your cv that's your particular uh, curriculum vitae your lebenslauf and now we have to think about how how do other people who are interested in pediatric gastroenterology find their way to the sort of multinational success that has been yours? You've been active in ESPGAN as a young person, as a young pediatric gastroenterologist. Uh, well, from from my vantage point of age 68, everybody is so hopelessly young. <laughs> but you have to tell me a little bit about what the criteria are to being a candidate for membership in the Young Pediatric Gastroenterologists Group. So I regret to inform you, Alex, but you have to be younger than 40 <laughs> to join a uh, young ESPGAN and have less than 10 years experience in the field. I qualify on the basis of less than 10 years experience <laughs> in the field. Can't you make an exception? Well, we do make exceptions, of course, because uh, there are situations when people change their career or they change their interest later on in their life or um, or some women go on maternity leave for two, sure. three, four, ten, five children, you know. So we have to take that into consideration as well, or they do a PhD first. Um, so, yeah, Understood. if you send your Understood. CV, we might consider it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a professional rebirth that would be. Um, so, but if I've, if I've got it correct, um, how do people interested in pediatric gastroenterology pediatricians in training or people who haven't even really decided that they want to become a pediatrician, such as, as the sort of person who you were, how do they find their way to your group? How are you making yourself known? Um, so that's, that's a very good question. I personally found ESPGAN by using Google. Huh. <laughs> so I was looking for uh, training opportunities, summer school events, and that's how I found it, how I found Espgan summer schools. Um, now, for people who are uh, already have an interest or a slight interest, not necessarily training in gastro, um, most of them would probably come to the annual meeting. 
ESPGAN um, annual meeting. It's uh, yearly and we have up to 4,000 participants. Whoa. Yeah. So um, this is one way to get in touch with, with people who are not yet members and they want to be part of our society. And we have many, many activities during the annual meeting. Uh, that we organize specifically for uh, trainees, members and non-members. We have, for example, Meet Young Espgan, where we have a coffee, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, during the coffee break and everyone can come and join us and we share ideas and, and see how we can do for for the trainees. Actually, this year in Copenhagen, we had um, a very successful meeting where many people came um, who were maybe their first time at Espgan. Mm -hmm. Didn't know about Young Espgan, but they saw it on the program. And since then, they applied to be members. They came. We met again in a summer school. So, um, you know, face to face, it's good. It's an amazing way of, of um, increasing our network. Now, I have a feeling that people who are listening to this podcast are already convinced pediatric gastroenterologists. They are, as you would put it in American language, they are already in the church. They're not just in the church. They're members of the choir. <laughs> okay. So here we are effectively preaching floods to Noah. Noah says, I believe already, Lord, high water's coming. <laughs> um, now, how do you reach? What you really need then is you need the mm -hmm. older folks, the ones who are committed pediatric gastroenterologists, tapping a young person on her shoulder and saying, I think you might have a gift for this particular line of work. Can we talk about uh, Espigan? Can we talk about young Espigan? Are you approaching the older folks in the society to encourage them to become mentors, at least in this extent, to this extent? Right. So we have a few different activities for those who are already members. Um, and um, one of them is, as you're mentioning, uh, mentorship. So mm -hmm. this mentorship program has started in 2017 and we had two face-to-face -face meetings, um, events. And afterwards, of course, uh, COVID happened. So 2020 uh, was the, a dead year when, when <laughs> <laughs> there was no mentorship program, there was no annual meeting. Uh, but we came back in 2021, we came back with a hybrid format for a mentorship program. And what w this program does is to um, match one young ESPCAN member with a senior ESPCAN member in a pair of mentor-mentee and to help them support this relationship, which is aimed at supporting actually the trainee towards their career. Um, and and grow it. Um, we have at the beginning a professional training by a, a company who is doing coaching and mentoring uh, as, oh. as, as their day-to-day as -day work. Mm -hmm. um, and it is fascinating. I must say mentors, so senior ESPCAN members have found it very useful and we had really good feedback from, from both mentors and mentees. In terms of teaching a mentor how to be a mentor, I like yeah. that. Uh, now, it's, that is good. We were wondering whether the mentors would find that a bit patronizing or not, <laughs> but um, it's it's good. Um, now, how does this track, how does this overlap with 
how is it coterminous with or go beyond what you experienced as a mentee of Professor Pope? <laughs> um, What's different? What's the same? Well, maybe now that you are asking me, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe I have, uh, you know, I had actually had many mentors, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a few mentors in my life. Yeah. And, uh, of course, to start with, uh, it was uh, Professor Popa. And then when I moved to gastroenterology, I had uh, a few. And one of them was uh, um, Professor Mike Thompson in Sheffield. And uh, um, uh, now uh, my mentor for the last few years has been my uh, current uh, supervisor and boss, Oswaldo Borelli. Um, it's different. There's different ways of mentoring and different ways of teaching. And I think depending on the trainee's needs, one mentor would probably adapt in a different way. And, uh, you know, at a different time in your career, you do need different things. Sure. Are these mentors? I'm trying to imagine how one could be an effective mentor or be effectively mentored if one were not at the same institution Hmm. It would seem to me that the everyday hands-on back and forth will be essential. Is that your goal, or are you also attempting long-distance partnerships? Or are you arranging placements for a mentee at the mentor's institution? A lot of questions, but go after them. (laughs) So um, the way our program works is uh, first we have the training online, for uh, everyone at once. Then we have a face-to-face meeting during the annual meeting for mentors and mentees, uh-huh. where they meet, you know, they, they sit and talk for one hour, they set their goals and they set a follow-up plan on when to meet and what to discuss next. Um, and then we send them, we prompt the next meetings and we send them emails to check everything is in order and uh, they follow up online Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. they meet again in uh, the next program and uh, now that I'm talking about it I actually had had and have a mentor from Espgan as well so I was in a previous mentor mentee um, program during the Espgan and this is how it worked we had the online meetings um, and we do try to match them from different countries, because sometimes that works, a different perspective works. So again, part of the cross-fertilization and sharing of different perspectives, working from different perspectives, which is part of what ESPGAN is all about, is incorporated into your mentorship program. I like that. That's right. Now, I'm sure that some mentorships don't work out for one reason or another, but do you have a couple of, without betraying confidences without naming names. (laughs) Do you have a couple of success stories that you'd like to share with us of people who who found that the mentorship really put the wind under their wings and lifted them? Um, I do have a few stories. And actually, I have uh, uh, young members coming to me and saying that uh, having me being part of the mentorship program has been extremely useful. And sometimes... um, it's not that you need uh, an advice on what research project to join, but maybe what life decision to take. You know, should I move to this other country or to this other hospital or how do I balance what I'm doing? And um, yeah, I have a trainee who actually moved to another continent and uh, has a mentor in <laughs> in uh, Europe. And she's been, uh, yeah, she's been incredibly pleased by the way it worked and how much she was supported. 
That's a really good recommendation for young folks to sign up with your particular branch of uh, ESPGAN and for those older people who want to recruit into your specialty the best available candidates to be as proactive as possible in offering themselves as mentors. How does somebody get to be a mentor? I, I'm, I know, I know I can't be one. <laughs> but um, how do you, are you approaching people and asking them to be mentors yes. or are they coming to you? We are, we so far we have approached people and asked them to be a mentor. So um, we, we looked around and saw who we think they might benefit from this as well, and they uh -huh, might be a good mentor. Uh -huh, uh -huh, okay. Also, they might have the time to do it. A lot of time and a lot of attention goes into cultivating young people and into bringing them to a position where not only can they see and do what you can see and do, but they can see farther yes. and do more than you yourself can. That whole idea of standing on the shoulders of giants. Isaac Newton is the source for that, I think. If I have seen a little bit farther, it is because I have stood on the shoulders of giants. So, Andrea, you're shaping up to become one of those giants. <laughs> Thank you, but that's too kind. Well, you're very welcome. I, I think that what I said is absolutely appropriate. Now... I've overlooked or not yet mentioned the other things that the Young ESPGAN membership makes available to a trainee. You have case of the month presentations, a chance to learn how to make something of interest known to your colleagues. You have webinars. Tell us about those and about other things that Young ESPGAN, Young ESPGAN membership offers. Sure, thank you for mentioning. Um, so the webinars uh, started during COVID. And that was our way of uh, meeting educational uh, needs when all the events were actually canceled. So we have now been two years into organizing uh, once a month, one hour webinar about gastroenterology topics. We have one senior member invited and along with the junior member, uh, we tried to make that a very interactive discussion. Um, at the beginning, it was an opportunity as well for uh, participants who had an abstract accepted at the annual meeting who got canceled in 2020 to present their work. Mm -hmm. You know, and they feel uh, to feel that this is uh, this is valued and share it with uh, their peers. We had from uh, up to 100 participants every month and uh, now a bit more down to 30, 35, probably because everything is uh, is back on site. But this is a very successful um, event that Espan, Young Espan is organizing and we are keen to continue it. It's free of charge. It's open to everyone. Uh, Non-members can join as well, and we do have many non-members who join. Um, and everyone how, can. How do you get to that? Through the ESPGAN website? Yes, it's on the ESPGAN website. It's advertised there. And what I haven't mentioned yet is that we are present on all social media channels. So there's a young oh. ESPGAN on Twitter. We have a Twitter account. We have LinkedIn account. We have Facebook group. We now have Instagram group. Um, we, have, uh, we, we are technically everywhere, and we advertise it everywhere and share it with all our peers. 
That's fantastic. So the webinars and then the case of the month? So case of the month, this is um, a sort of a tradition for Young Aspen, which was started um, by one of the early uh, committees. And by the way, I didn't mention that Young Aspen is a new committee. It was only founded in 2009. So oh. we're barely teenagers. Um, yeah, so we are, we've been continuing this uh, project. Is, uh, we call for all our members to send uh, an interesting case they come across to share it so we can all learn from that case. And we do select the best ones um, to get published and to get the certificate at the annual meeting. What else can you recommend Youngest began for so. social activities. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I must say, I do not do as many socials as <laughs> one would like. Uh, but during the annual meeting, uh, we have a lot of uh, young Espkan events. Uh, we have, we had like, this year actually the first time ever, we have a program, training program on how to become a reviewer. So we are trying to educate our um, our members on how to develop further in their career and, uh, you know, maybe how to review a paper, how to write a paper. Um, we also have um, a young ESPCAN session, which is every year, and it's about uh, soft skills. So it's nothing about gastroenterology, but it's something that we every day can come across. For example, this year we had conflict resolution um, and we had a um, um, uh, very nice lady, Oslem Sesik, who was an ex-member of the parliament, first Muslim woman in the parliament in the Netherlands who, um, uh, who developed this, uh, this NGO of building bridges between communities and addressing conflict resolution. So this is something we all come across in our career. Uh, we also mm -hmm. had previously um, a talk on um, human factor awareness and out how that can lead to error and how we should be aware of, you know. Um, yeah, so this is, again, something very important for us as trainees that we're trying to address. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, um, at the end of our podcasts, we generally ask the interviewed person, the interviewee, for something that will sum up what it is to be from his or her homeland, particularly when seen from abroad, when seen in an international perspective. You never really know what's special about your country until you've gone somewhere else and found out that they don't do it that way here. So Romania, or maybe now Britain, I'm not sure which you're going to choose, <laughs> but if Romania, then what song, what piece of music is as Romanian as is Brancusi's art? Um, I'm actually very happy that you asked me to provide the song, and it is a Romanian song, and that is um, Romanian Rhapsody by George Enescu, who is a very famous composer. And this song is just, it summarizes all the essence of being Romanian. I hope you like it. I'm sure that we shall.
If you would like to listen to the song in full length, please check out our Espigan playlist. Thank you so much for giving us your time and giving us your insights on how to progress and to be happy in progressing as a pediatric gastroenterologist within Espigan. Thank you.